Hey, Kristen. Hey, James. So who are we talking to today? Okay, today is the CTO of Calibri Games, a longtime PlayFab customer and one of the most exciting kind of uh, uh, small studios growing up in the world of idle clicker games, uh, Oliver Loeffler. Co-founder and CTO of Calibri Games. We started out the company three years ago out of college. We uh, decided to go more into this uh, idle game thing because we saw that it has like a huge potential in the market and yeah that's why we built our first game Idle Mind Tycoon. And Oliver I've known for a long time, super sharp guy. Uh, I think we're going to hear a lot to say about how they started a very small studio and they are like the ultimate live off success story because they started small, they shipped a product very quickly, eight weeks of development, they were live and then they've just been iterating and iterating and iterating and I've, we've watched their numbers climb over the years and it's super, it's super, uh, uh, inspiring that a small studio can kind of achieve the success they've had. So I think we're going to have some really good good stories from them today. Yeah, that sounds exciting. Let's jump right in. Hello, I'm James Gortzman. I'm Kristen Cox. Welcome to the Art of Live Ops podcast. I've been making games for 16 years as a designer and a game director focused on live ops. I founded PlayFab five years ago because I saw a huge gap in the kinds of access to live ops technologies game studios needed to be successful. We've put this podcast together because a lot of the information on how to do live ops effectively just isn't out there. There's way more information about how to optimize your graphics pipeline or how to put together effective game design than there is on how to do effective live ops. And since it's pretty tough to go around yourself and just find everyone that does live ops and ask them questions, we did it for you. We've picked together a list of some of the top practitioners in the industry, folks who we think are really pushing the boundaries and doing some cutting edge work. And we interview a different one every week and ask them about their experiences running live games, doing live Ops and even having live ops disasters. Yeah, train wrecks are the best. That's where you really learn how to do things effectively. So tune in. We have another interview for you today. So you've been you've been practicing live ops techniques in your games from the very beginning. Yeah. I mean, how? Why don't you talk a little bit? One of the things that's notable about your games is how quickly you launched your first game. Mm-hmm. So h- how long exactly did you work on Idle Miner Tycoon before you launched it? Yeah, so we only worked like two months um, um, before we launched it. So for us, this was very important to set a timeline of like a short timeline to actually find out if this game is working, if players are looking for those kind of games, if players are liking it and so on. So we don't want to uh, invest a lot of time and energy and resources uh, to develop a big game and then find out in the end that this doesn't work out. So we wanted to test it very fast. So... That's why we set the timeline. We actually also um, planned a release party before actually starting to develop uh, to the game itself um, so that we have like the pressure and really doing this. And yeah, it worked out. We had to say no to a lot of things. So we all needed to focus on building like the core gameplay first. Uh, but I guess this was like the, the right decision and we could validate then very early that this is the, the game to continue with. And then once you launched, uh, talk to us about how you, you updated the game. What was your update frequency like? Yeah, so of course, like after two months, the game was like very basic. So didn't have like a lot of content, didn't, didn't have like a lot of features. Basically, there was only like core gameplay mechanics uh, in, inside the game. So we wanted to to add more things in a very fast way. And uh, that's why I decided to do weekly updates um, after releasing the game. And from us, it was also very important from the beginning that we get like a lot of user feedback because we want to build 
games for the players and for ourselves. So uh, we try to get like a lot user feedback and try to get the feedback as fast as possible back into the game. And that's for the reasons why we decided for this weekly update schedule. Cool. And so in terms of the, the updates, so you do client updates. Yeah. Uh, what sort of updates or changes do you typically push from the, the, the back end, from the server directly? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so from the server directly, we uh, schedule like a lot of like these live ops things. Um, so one uh, thing is like the event mine. Uh, so we have like a time limited content for players um, uh, to play, mostly during a weekend or something like that. And uh, players can they gain like certain rewards if they finish the, the event mine in a certain time and so on. And this pushes like engagement as well as like also monetization because players are really want to finish it. Um, so that's something we we do from the backend side. So scheduling when the events happen, like uh, how long they are and um, also like how, um, how challenging and so forth. Um, so these are things uh, we are doing from the backend. We're also doing um, some segmentation on the backend side, so um, basically show some offers to to players um, in a certain segment. For example, one thing could be like we have like a very expensive offer. We don't want to show it at the very beginning to non-payers, um, so we don't we we segment non-payers from payers and show like their different offers. That's something we can also configure from the backend side. And um, to do also promotional offers. So same with event mines. Uh, we would sometimes want to have like a certain offer for, I don't know, a, a certain event like St. Patrick's Day or something like that where we can define on the server and schedule it as well so that um, uh, we don't need to do like a client update or are more flexible around doing those kind of things. What a, yeah, I, I think your, your limited time events are especially compelling. I found myself as well, like frantically hurrying to finish it before yeah. your timeline cuts off. So I think you're right, that sense of urgency can be compelling. Yeah. One thing we've noticed is that games are becoming more like communities. So, you know, where, where the, the interactions between the players is a big part of the, the why they come back, why they're so sticky. You know, what, what have you done in terms of trying to think about or, or make your games more, more, you know, to, to invest more in those kind of social features. Yeah, so we think like with social features, like people get more engaged because like either they want to have like some competitive um, 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 challenge going on with their friends, like who is faster beating certain event mines or who's faster progressing in the game. Um, so because of this, this engagement, like uh, I think it's like very useful to have those, those features to drive that engagement. Also, like, I guess it's more likely that players invite other friends to the game uh, as well. So it's basically um, um, also getting more people into the game. And um, yeah, that's why we think it's like super important to have like the social features in the game. We also want to invest more in the future uh, in doing that, yeah. Where are I imagine other game studios come to you looking for advice. I mean, you're, you guys have, are kind of the ultimate success story. You know, small mm -hmm. team, now you're 100 people, you've grown really fast. Yeah. You know, when you give advice, uh, especially on live ops, if people say to you, hey, what, like, this is really hard, mm -hmm. you know, because it can be overwhelming, you know, where do you suggest people get started? Like, if you're going to do just one or two things from a live ops perspective, where, where should people start? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so for us, like the biggest impact have had definitely like this time limited events. So these are 
like a, a big engagement and, and revenue driver. So it's like something which is changing, changing constantly in the game. So players, I guess, like from my my understanding, is like players really want to have like see different things in the game. And with like these events, it's always something fresh, something new that the players can see. And um, that's why I guess they're also so super excited about this. So that's like for us, like I guess like the biggest game changer on, on the live upside doing this time limited content. And also like um, looking out for, for certain real world events. So we see like if we're doing like, um, I don't know, a Christmas event mine or a, Valentine's event mine and so on like these these are the events which drive actually more engagement from the users um, so looking out for those kind of things and doing a lot of like great artwork I guess for especially those events helps a lot as well um, so that we have like the event mines are kind of similar from the gameplay perspective but they always look different so I think that's that's something what the players are looking for and then, uh, okay, so start with events. And then once we've got real world events, what would be the next, the next kind of layer to add on top of that from a live ops? Yeah. Um, so I think like scheduling offers, for example, mm. uh, also like during the events maybe uh, can be very beneficial. But then also like um, doing, going more into the segmentation, for example, like um, showing like you can imagine like showing different event minds to a certain different player base for example like in the eastern world you have like different rewards event events which are important and in the western world so you can basically try to define like different event minds for different players or player groups and um, going more into this direction and for us um, also help to automate like a lot of things to do those live ops um, I think so it's like easy to to do them. So in the past we had like, I guess like one event mine every four months because, uh, no, every month. So because like um, it it uh, was some effort in doing this and we also wanted to focus on other things. So we automated a lot around it. So now it takes like one day development time to integrate a new event. And that's why we can now have like weekly event mines. Yeah. Yeah, tools are really important so that your non-programmers can 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 get in there and yeah. and 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 run a lot of these these yeah. opportunities. What about data and analytics? I mean, so that comes up a lot, you know. And, and I know you've you've done case studies in the past where you've talked about all of the analytics capabilities you guys have have done and all the data you're storing. But let's talk about how do you actually use that data. So it's one thing to store a lot of data. Mm -hmm. It's another thing to actually use the data to 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 improve a player experience or make your game better. Mm -hmm. Can you give any examples of places where you've actually made changes to the game based on, on the data that you've, you've, you've gathered and, and how you've used it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so we are gathering like a lot of data about like the event mines, for example. So we are looking into them like when to um, do or like when the event mines should start. So is it beneficial to have it on over the weekend? Is it beneficial to have it like one week? Um, um, and also like on which like on, on what time is it better in the morning or in the evening when they start and end and so forth so I looked a lot about those kind of things and also like about the duration should it be like three days should it be like one week should it be two weeks and so on so we um, took a lot into that and, and tried to optimize um, um, those, those event plans yeah. 
What about um, when live ops goes wrong? So one of, one of the things I've been asking everyone as part of this podcast is to tell their their best train wreck story, like mm-hmm. like because you can you can really mess things up sometimes with live ops. Yeah. So have you have you ever, ever had any situations where something's gone wrong with uh, with something on the back end side? Yeah. So um, one thing could uh, was like that we basically. Um, um, Put in some wrong num or like wrong times into the into the backend, and then the event mine ended earlier, for example, or like things were changing so that then players who thought like um, okay the event goes one or two more days ended early because um, it was like easy for us to fix because it was on the backend so we could adjust the timestamp. But like first like players were complaining and so on. Uh, I guess like at, at some point we also when we I guess like introduced the first event mine. Um, there was like huge load on the servers, um, so that uh, it took. So the servers were scaling. It was good part, but it took like five minutes till till the server scaled, and then a lot of players couldn't enter the first event mine we ever launched for for five minutes. And we sent out push notifications to to everyone at the same time, and then everyone logged in and and wanted to play the event mine. Then half of them couldn't, and then we got like a lot of complaints, of course, because uh, they were so excited about it. Um, but that's something um, uh, which is working out now much better. Um, also, like we're not sending push notifications to all the players anymore at the same time, but rather like do it like um, 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 on, on different times uh, so that we don't get like this very huge load uh, on, on the servers. I'm sure those five minutes felt like an eternity. Like you're <laughs> sitting there watching complaints and you're like, no, <laughs> please. Yeah. 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 Um, what about the economy? I mean, so economies can be hard to balance sometimes. I mean, mm-hmm. have you, have you, have you had to do much to sort of try to balance out, you know, or have you ever had situations where you've maybe produced things that are overpowered or, or you've, you felt like you've sort of messed up your, 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 your balance? Yeah, yeah, of course. So, so we have like this weekly, we update, so we're changing a lot in the game. And um, for example, if we're adding more and more things to it, sometimes, so we're getting, giving out some premium currency, for example, if you complete certain things. And if you add more and more things to it, you get more and more premium currency. So um, that's, for example, why, why we needed to reduce it at some point, because like players had so much of this premium currency, they would never buy the, uh, these, these currency anymore. So that's something which we sometimes need to nerf uh, again and also um, like for example with the event mines. So we added, we're adding more content in the, in the main game uh, which could progress like mines in general like faster and this was also applying for these event mines. So because we in- integrated so much more content, um, players who were like, like in the back or like at the end of the content could finish the event mines like really fast like in, in one or two hours and that's not not something we, we want to have we want to have like players need some time to finish yeah. the event mines so we need to rebalance things there also like big challenge is to to balance these event mines for the players who are very, at the very beginning as well as on the players at the right. very end so that they both have like a good experience um, in the game so we are constantly changing and, and so on and Sometimes players don't like it that much, but then actually um, they get used to it in the end. They find it actually that's a, that's a good change. Um, but yeah, we, that's something we we constantly doing. Yeah, yeah, balance is balance is hard to get right. Yeah, what kind of tools do you use? I mean, do you guys use uh, like Google Sheets or Excel? Like, what what do you what what tools do your designers use to 
to manage all that all that content. Yeah. So we are using Excel files. So we have like big number tables um, where we also like build on some graphs and so on, so that like the game designers can see like okay. Um, how are the levels or like the costs of the levels are growing compared to like the income of of um, of the game and so we're doing there a lot of things and then we export those um, those excel files into unity our game engine which we're using and from there on um, um, basically the programmers take care of integrating um, um, all those numbers got it so, so you have excel basically built into your content pipeline essentially yeah right yeah so we automated a lot of things so that we can integrate it very fast um, and yeah i think it's a good tool for for the game designers so they don't need to get to know Unity and so on. And it's also like, um, um, they're like big numbers and a lot of, of things happening and they can get like a good overview about like what what is like the balancing uh, in the game and can adjust it also easily. But it is fascinating how games have changed. I mean, it used to be games were just art and code and now yeah. art, code and da data, you know, Excel data is just as important as in terms of, in, in fact, for a game like yours, Arguably, the the Excel data is some of the most important data for the game. Yeah, right. That really affects the whole game experience. So yeah. that's it's kind of fascinating to see how that all fits together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially like with our games uh, on idle games in general. I think like the data behind this is is like the most important part because um, it needs to feel the right pace. That, that um, can't be too fast, can't be too slow. Must find the right fit, and that's something like uh, which is really challenging. And that's why we need like good tools to support it, and and we think Excel is like actually a quite good tool to do it. And your your games are available globally, I, I believe. So how do you how did you how did you decide when to start localizing? I mean, were you localizing from the beginning, or did you add languages over time? So at the very beginning, it was only in English, um, because also we built like this MVP. Uh, we don't want to. We didn't want to focus so much on, on localization, but we started uh, quite early with localization. Uh, we thought that this is important and a lot of players were also writing, I say, I want to have like this language, this language, this language. So I guess like after a couple of months after releasing it, we were uh, localizing it and also on the Play Stores and App Stores where we saw then also like that the, the um, download numbers increased as well. Yeah. So it, it had an impact. You see, you see it in fact. But you know, in the localization is especially hard with live ops because when you're launching an event, mm. you know, you 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 have to not just localize the game. You've got to localize all of the communications, the push notifications around that event. Yeah, right. Yeah. So we we need to plan a little ahead to get like all the translations and so on. And sometimes if we're pushing new features and the translation are not ready. We just push it with, with English content and then later add the translation. Um, but yeah, of course, like um, it, it takes some time to translate things. So we are lucky that we don't have so many like texts inside the game. There are other games with stories, for example, which have like a lot of text and where the quality is also super important. Uh, for us, it's more easy because we don't have so much, and um, that's why we can can actually release things still very fast. Yeah. And how many languages do you support? I'm not 100% sure, but something about 20, 20 okay. languages. Wow. That's, actually, that's actually a lot. It used to be just yeah, a handful, but now yeah. it's growing. What about user acquisition? So I know we talked earlier, I mean, your, your game's been live almost three years now, I think. Mm -hmm. And it's, as far as I can tell, it seems to be doing as, you know, better now than, it, than ever. You know? So your, your, your success has been growing mm -hmm. continuously over that period of time. Yeah. But getting new players in can be really challenging for a lot of game developers, you know, or, or organic Installs are hard to get sometimes, and so what? 
what what percentage of your play, if you can share with us what percentage of your players are coming in via sort of you know paid you know kind of user acquisition yeah. and uh, and and talk a little bit about what because that can be really hard to do and so you know what what your own kind of experience has been starting up paid user acquisition mm-hmm. yeah so. At the beginning, like our game was um, totally driven by organic downloads. So um, as we started out, we didn't add that money to, to and also not like the capabilities and, and resources to do um, uh, user acquisition. So at the beginning, it was like a lot of organic downloads. I think for us, we were there with, with idle games at the right time uh, where the market was looking for, for idle games. Um, and uh, that's why we got like a lot of organic downloads. But we saw that there can be like potential of buying users as well. So we tried it out, um, um, like I guess only after one year um, and with a very small scale, try to do some tests, see like what we, like are the users we are buying, are we getting the money back and with like not much money. And then uh, when we saw like the positive results, we scaled and scaled it and, um, and saw like till when we could, could scale it. Um, so that's that's something or like how we approach those things, um, and yeah. What what were you ask other questions? Yeah, just uh, it's hard. I mean, UA is yeah. hard, you yeah. know, and and figuring out how to make it profitable is mm. especially hard. You can you can waste a lot of money trying to show ads and acquire users and 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 not have a good return on it. Mm. Um, so any lessons you've learned about how to how to do that effectively? Yeah. So so we are focusing from the very beginning a lot on on the data side like looking really if the users we are buying if like these cords are actually returning the money and at which time also so we set ourselves like goals for for um for the user acquisition like how big the margin should be like how um uh, when we want to have our money back again and so on so i think like especially ua and, and mobile is like very data driven at least from from our side and this this helped us a lot to optimize and um, to to continue uh, scaling the, the ua campaigns which uh, if i can ask which channels have you found most effective have you found that some channels are a lot more effective than others for for finding the right kinds of players um, so we tried out a lot of different um, uh, channels and i think it also depends on like what scale you are um, for us uh, we we were using like a lot of uh, different ad networks um, also now looking more into Facebook and um, also like um, DSPs like cross install um, so yeah we, we like during the lifetime of our UA um, um, life things change a lot and um, I think it always depends on like what what scale you are which are the best terms thank you yeah. so much for chatting with us yeah thanks as well for having me yeah I'm, I'm a, such a huge fan of vital minor <laughs> and uh, in fact half our team are huge fans you know if not if not all the teams so it's yeah. one of the games that he played in the office most often yeah so, cool great yeah, thank you great to you <laughs>